Well, I'm guessing if it's chilly here in Surrey, it's going to be pretty darn chilly down in Cornwall with you, Leo. Have you got your thermals on, love? I have got my thermals on. I've got my uh, combinations, as they used to call it, in duck Combies. Excellent. Yeah, and it's a beautiful blue sky, crisp morning in Truro. You should see it. Oh, I'd love to. Well, my new secret weapon is a heated fleecy blanket, which means I don't have to put the heating on. So I plug myself in and I can sit there for hours. It's a total game changer. I suggest you put one on your Christmas list. So I'm Hannah Scott Joint. Rosie can't be with us this week. So I'm here today with uh, journalist Leo Devine, as usual. And this is the Religion Media Centre podcast. So, Leo, what have you picked up newswise this week? Oh, well, there was a great story in The Times this week and also on the Religion Media Centre email, as we plug oh, every yes. week in your daily inbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Times reported that uh, St Mary the Virgin in Primrose Hill in North London have been told to remove 20 pink and lilac upholstered chairs as they were too colourful and could cause puzzlement, was the actual words they used. Puzzlement why, do we think? Well, apparently, and they had a church consistory court over this, which is a pretty serious deal. And they published a 3,400-word ruling that all the seats uh, should be one muted shade as the multicolours could give rise to the thought that the church had been unable to find enough upholstered chairs of the same colour. So there you go. No pile, no pink and lilac, not pilot, pink and lilac. <laughs> I like pilot. I think it would be one of those things where people go, no, I want the pink one this week. No, I want the pink one. People would sort of take ownership of the pink Well, chairs. I'm all for colour in church. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I was just going to just highlight that as the weather gets colder, um, there are a load of community buildings, including places of worship, that have opened up as places for people to go and spend time so they don't have to put in the heating, boil a kettle, use their own energy essentially, um, that, you know, they could be struggling to afford. And there are several websites with information on this. Uh, There's warmspaces.org, warmwelcome.uk, which both have maps so you can find out exactly where the places near you are. And and also the Oasis organisation, which runs schools and community hubs, has what they're calling living rooms uh, around the country. And actually, uh, it looks like I think about 16 and a half million people will be in fuel poverty this winter. So, I mean, that's an enormous, enormous number of people who are going to be struggling, are already struggling in this cold weather. But there's there's a lot going on in the community to just try and help and also just to provide kind of companionship and a bit of solidarity in it all. And I noticed Steve Chalk, who runs the Oasis organisation, founded it on Twitter this morning. Grimsby Oasis are also, their schools there, are giving each child a onesie or a hooded blanket to help them stay warm, which is a wonderful thing, but it's just so awful that... Well, there's a campaign in Plymouth. The the MP uh, in Plymouth um, has actually launched a campaign to buy electric blankets for people. So, you know, heat your bed rather than yourself. And one of the warm websites that I uh, looked at yesterday, I shared with my students where I teach on a Thursday. Yeah. You'd be amazed how many students they're running short of money. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't heat their houses. You know, this seems to be affecting everybody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All ages. And actually in, in lots of different stratas of society as well. It's it's Yes, it's kind of a, across the board that this is so difficult. And it's so wonderful that people are kind of stepping up and wanting to kind of share and support. And maybe that's a maybe maybe that's happens more easily now since COVID, actually, when people were kind of looking after each other a bit better. And we all understood yeah. a bit more about what that what that means. Maybe actually people find it kind of easier to do that now as a result. I don't know. But 
as Leo said, just a reminder that the RMC puts out a daily news bulletin, including uh, this week all sorts of stories and more, which you can have sent straight to your inbox first thing each weekday morning. If you don't subscribe already, you can do so via the website religionmediacentre.org. UK. Now, last week, of course, the census had just been published with it. A whole lot of noise, including from us, especially about the declining number who ticked the Christian box down to 46% compared to an increasing number of non-religious up to 37%. Alongside that, though, Christmas is, of course, almost upon us with cathedrals and churches always reporting packed houses for carol services. And actually, it's not always just Christians who who mark Christmas, whether you're a card-carrying Christian or not, whether you're part of another faith group. Actually, lots of people mark Christmas in various ways. So we're sort of wondering a bit about, about what people do and why and where that comes from. Uh, so with us to chat about what you might call the enduring appeal of Christmas despite religion and everything, snappy, uh, we've got photographer and visual artist Shaista Chisti, our regular journo contributor Amadeep Bassi, and the Reverend Kate Botley from Songs of Praise, Good Morning Sunday, Steph's Packed Lunch. Hello, all of you. And uh, is happy Christmas too early? Don't know. Going too early on that? What do we think? Is it all right? I think it's all right. A couple of weeks to go. Now, it is tempting to say it's just all about presents and food and family and decorations for people, and maybe it is for many. And yet, Kate, there is something about Christmas which seems to resonate with people, isn't there? What, what's that about, do you think? I think there's all sorts of things going on. I think there's a, a nostalgia for Christmases of childhood. There's also that sort of image of a Victorian Christmas that's been packaged and repackaged via the Muppets and all sorts of other uh, genres. <laughs> you know, we all, I think people want that. The, the nights are cold, the, it's dark. We all sort of want that warm glow. Um, but I think there's something about the story of Christmas, even if that story has perhaps been forgotten or is not at the centre of people's minds, about a family that's gathered and about love and, and warmth and all those sorts of things. So I think that's what people are trying to uh, trying to get hold of. I was in Chester Cathedral this week um, and there were 1,200 people in there for a carol service. I am under no illusion that, you know, most of those people that were in that room probably would not tick a box on a census form. They might hover their pen over it, um, <laughs> but they certainly would be the people that stop me in the street and go, I'm not religious, but I do like away in a manger. Mm. Um, and I'm really interested in that in that but in the middle of that sentence and I think it's a real gift actually I would rather have a church full of people who go I'm not religious but than mm. a fully signed up um <laughs> a fully signed up congregation really yeah no that's so interesting um Shaista tell me a bit about you know Christmas for you what does it mean I mean you're a Muslim so clearly the you know the 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 Christmas what it's all about the the nativity story not something that resonates remotely with you or is there something there? Um, well, I mean, I grew up going to Catholic school, so um, Christmas was something big as a child because of being in the school environment. But I think for me now as, as a fully grown person, I think it's it's that time of year where, you know, everyone's winding down, everyone's off, everyone's got a bit of time and space to just get together and have a bit of fun. As, and as somebody who takes on far too much, that one time of year when there's nobody chasing me for work. So it's kind of that time. It's just synonymous with having some actual uh, downtime. Yeah. And every year looks something different. Usually people will come together, for, whether it's friends or family or both, um, whoever can be bothered to host something. 
and whoever's hosting will either have a Christmassy vibe or not. But everyone's kind of in that zone of actually being switched off. Yeah. Um, which is what's beautiful about it. And of course, you know, the days are short. So, you know, it's food and trying to get cozy, just that kind of feeling really. Mm, mm. And yet you went to a Catholic school. So the nativity stuff was very much part of part of growing up and part of your kind of, yeah, what happened every Christmas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there was always a nativity. I never got to play a lead role. But that's, Did you not? That's, oh. that's a chat for another day. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm all for any kind of festivity. I'm very pro-religion. So whenever, whichever religion it is, and there's some sort of festivity, you know, I think it's great for people to, to have that, you know. Amadeep, how about you? As a Sikh, Christmas, what's that all about? Again, like Joyce was saying, it, it, it's the, the whole festival thing, the whole getting together and, and particularly childhood memories, as I said, you know, being huddled around with the family, watching something like Wizard of Oz with, um, you know, the tin of roses and um, the kind of TV times and radio time. So, you know, the, the, the strongest memories are childhood memories, really, of Christmas, both at school uh, and also at home. And at home, it'd be quite a interesting mix where, you know, we'd probably have some Sikh religious music playing while in the background we've got songs of praise or, or some kind of carols going on or something Christmassy. Love that. Um, and even with the food, you know, the stuffing might have a hint of chilli in it or, or, you know, there'd be some kind of... Um, Indianizing the Christmas lunch in some kind of way, uh, and that's continued really. You know, the get-togethers still happen. Uh, I've got quite a big family on a religious front, uh, even though you know, as Sikhs, we don't uh, sort of believe in Christ as such. Um, you know, the, the cultural side of things, uh, and also the fact that you know Christ is a figure for millions of pe- people across the world is something that the Sikhs would you know would contribute to. And also another thing, another feature about Sikhs, I suppose, in Christmas is you know, Sikhism is very much about giving and, and service and, and doing well for others. And so at Christmas, you'll find you know, a lot of the Sikh communities will be having you know, giving uh, food and shelter to the homeless, going out, giving free food uh, and Christmas. So in that, in that respect, very much uh, Christmas has become part of almost a Sikh tradition in, in the UK, I'd say. And with Amadeep on the arrival of the uh, Radio Times and the TV Times, totally. that was like the most exciting. We never bought it any other time of the year. Do you remember when you had to buy both of them because they weren't all in one? So you had to buy the Radio Times and the TV Times and get mm-hmm. the pen out for both of them and do double circling. You get the pen, I get the Sharpie out. My family think I'm completely nuts. I never actually managed to watch everything. Oh, of course but- not. No, but it was great, wasn't it? Because you just you get so excited. It was a big, fat, two-week edition. You just love it. Uh, but there'll always be regional variations too, and you'd hate those words, not for viewers in Manchester or something. I was in Yorkshire going, ha, take that, Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved all of that. But also it was the smells and the preparation. you know. And I was an altar boy, so I was pretty busy you know, over that period. Um, and you used to get little tips as well, so that was good. And... Oh, what else? Oh, my mum used to make the cake and we'd always have the cake after midnight mass. So she'd make a massive cake and then we'd cut it after midnight mass and we'd have a drink with it. And that was like the start of Christmas. But it was as much as the, the preparation was exciting and putting the crib up too. We always had a crib in our house and we still have one now. Uh, my father-in-law made the crib. It's a beautiful thing. And we have the kings, which have been in my family for decades. And they start their journey in December, they go along the landing I love and that. put them down the stairs each day. But when we had a cat, he used to love flicking them 
through the banisters, you know, because the kings have been making their way down, because, of course, they don't appear till Epiphany in Those January. Those kings getting flicked through the banisters. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they land upside down in the plant pot, you know, not looking very holy at that point. Uh, our was, Jesus is adding it fruit bowl at the moment. He doesn't uh, go into last Christmas. He doesn't well, go into after midnight exactly. mass. Yeah, quite right, quite right. So, I mean, you know, going back to carol services and things, what you were saying, Kate, about people kind of rocking up for carol services who don't rock up at any other time of year, and yet, like you say, have probably quite, yeah, quite probably ticked the no religion box. And 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 you, I love this thing you say about that. I'm not religious, but so so just just expand on that a bit for me. What do you think is going on there? So I learned quite early on in my vicar in life that people were very scared of the word religious. So I learned this through funeral ministry. So what would happen is funeral directors would go and see a family and the first question they would ask about the deceased is, were they religious? To which um, a lot of people would go, oh, no. And what they meant by that was that they probably weren't pious, that they probably didn't go to a place of worship very regularly, That, but they sort of have kind of like, you know, everybody wants to believe that the person that they love is in a better place, in a place of love and, you know, once they've died. So I learned quite early that asking the question, are you religious, comes with all sorts of baggage around it that people might not want to associate themselves with. So what's um, the question then? Because so the question like is, tell me about what you believe or do you have a faith or what do you think? Or would you like a vicar at the, for funerals, those kind of questions, uh, would you like a vicar to lead this? That's, that's the sort of question to ask at those. But in the, in these contexts, I find to keep the question as open as possible or to not ask the question at all. So, you know, we get, we might get someone in, obviously in my context, Christian context, we might get someone in church who comes in, who likes singing the carols. We'll just join in with that bit. And the, the, the thing I was associated with was, if I was a French teacher and you came to my lessons and you were already fluent in French, what would be the point? So I expect when you walk into to, to the space where I am that you might not speak any of the language at all or you might just be able to say hello and please and thank you and that's it. And it's it's my job, if you like, to help you discover the language. Whether you choose to be fluent in that language and continue to learn it, it's up to you. But you can access as much or as little as you want. And you might only ever go to France and say, two crepes with Nutella on, please. You know, you, that's my, it might be all you ever learn. But that's okay because you've tried and you've, and you've, you've joined in, if you like. And, and so we are... We're not, and also religion doesn't belong to the religious is my big kind of thing. You know, it doesn't belong to the dog collars. If you want to light a candle, light a candle. If you want to come once a year in a single way and major, do that. It, it's not ours. We don't own it. Mm. Um, and the God I believe in is, is, is generous and um, we are not custodians of grace. It's not our job to meter it out and to decide who's in and who's, who's out. It's not, it's not like that for me. I think that's a lovely thought, Kay, and I really relate to that. I'm chased. I'm just wondering about you when you were at uh, Catholic school, which was also my experience of, of growing up. Did you, when you said you loved it and the, the kind of the traditions, did you, did you join in? Did you sing the carols? Did you feel you were able to do that? Because, of course, Jesus or the prophet Isa is, is, is revered in Islam, isn't it? Isn't yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Muslims love Jesus, as we call him, Isa. And uh, I think from my perspective, yeah, I was absolutely involved, whether it was mass or whatever. It was a regular part of my everyday. And there's so many similarities across the Abrahamic faiths that it wasn't something that was 
you know, I wasn't participating in. And obviously I speak from my own perspective because Muslims will have, you know, up and down the country will have every shade of opinion and practice or not, and opinion even around Christmas and whether they celebrate or not. Uh, but of course, Muslims in general do love Jesus um, or Isa. So from my perspective, I was happy to be involved. And I think that while that religious element has now diminished after I started practicing Islam, you know, I think there's no harm for me personally getting involved as I wish or as I feel. And I think there's something really interesting also about what Kate, you were saying about, you know, the carol service, for example. And I don't want to kind of bring in that whole elephant in the room capitalism, but I do think that there's something that these this time of year and other religious festivities bring people together because it's one of the very few times and spaces where there isn't a financial transaction involved necessarily. So I think that's some, that shows us that people do want to come together and maybe um, if there's more spaces and opportunities, you know, for us to come together in our local communities or otherwise, whether it's Christmas or otherwise, um, I think that shows that there's a need and a desire. And I think I also agree about the not criticizing people. You know, a lot of people at this time of year, there's going to be the same old debates about capitalism. Have we lost the spiritual element? And I'm totally with you. People will, people need to find their way of connecting and there is no right or wrong way to do it. Amadeep, if uh, in for Sikhs, uh, is turning up to the Gurdwara something that is something that you need to do regularly each week? Or is it, a, is it the kind of situation like we're talking about where people can kind of rock up on high days and holidays and that's okay. Yeah, there is a lot of emphasis on sitting together with fellow worshippers. Indeed, you know, it, it's really stressed in the religious scriptures that mm-hmm. you should, uh, both for, you know, for reading of scriptures and also for the communal sense. Uh, and certainly you know, in the UK, as first-generation immigrants, going to the Gurdwara would be the time where you where you met, you know, people that looked like you and then, you know, practiced the same religion. So in that respect, on Christmas Day, especially if it falls on a Sunday or the weekend, the Gurdwaras are generally packed because not only does it fall on a Sunday, but it's also Christmas Day. And as I said, there's nothing stopping Sikhs from celebrating the birth of a prophet. Um, so as I said, there has, there has been this crossover where you know the, the general kind of religious attitude of Sikhs has kind of transferred to the, the, the religion of the UK. Uh, and, and it is you know, celebrated up and down the country. So, some Sikh... Um, Temples will especially have a, a program uh, on Christmas Day, as I said, particularly if it falls on a Sunday, where they may talk about Jesus Christ. It's interesting. I, I'm a deep. I worked in Leicester. I think you know that for many years yeah. uh, as a reporter, as a journalist, and I had a well, I had a good few Hindu friends. And I always remember there's one lady, her, well, her mother, an elderly lady in her shrine at home, had a statue of Jesus. You know that he'd been kind of added in amongst all of the other gods and was revered in exactly the same way. And I think it's really interesting, isn't it, how that sense of togetherness and and adapting traditions around you is very important, particularly for that sense of community. Yeah, definitely. As I said, it's, you know, Christmas is England for a lot of Sikhs. It's (laughs) it's the epitome of Englishness in some ways, uh, in in a very good way. You know, the togetherness, the, the, the kind of, getting out and about, the, the family. You know, these are all very much Punjabi Sikh ideals themselves. Mm, mm. Um, Kate, I, I know you also spotted a tweet I did this week 
from someone who asked if it was generally acceptable for non-religious people to attend carol services. Oh, I was my really, it broke my heart. But I was really interested in that. And somebody else was saying, calling themselves another conflicted atheist who sort of felt like she might be an imposter in a carol service and sort of feel disrespectful to worshippers. It was so both sweet side, but awful yeah. at the same time. It was so sweet that it was like, would it be really disrespectful if I turned up for a carol service? Absolutely not. No one's checking your your census box as you walk in. Um, and just that idea that it, it just the the misunderstanding that us of those of us who believe believe all the time. You know that high idea that we're utterly convinced all of the time that there's no glint of doubt in our minds at all ever about our beliefs. You know, and I just find that that's a real, you know, I, I don't know if I can speak for others in in this space, but that you know when I, I when I do a, a difficult funeral or when I visit a family who's going through something really awful that I don't think oh my goodness is there really a god you know that I don't have that flicker of a thought every now and again and that we're all fully signed up all of the time um so I found it really sweet that this kind of board this kind of questioning atheist as they describe themselves I think mm. said well I'd be found out you know like we've got some sort of like metal detector as you come through the church door oh yeah that goes bing, 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 bing. <laughs> they've read Dawkins bing, 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 bing. you know that kind of thing <laughs> It's just, just come, just come. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, I was interested in what you said, Shyster, earlier about about the the way that actually people of faith generally feel kind of how can I put this sort of sort of on the same level as other people of different faiths. There's a sort of a collaborative nature simply because you are somebody who has a faith. So it almost doesn't matter which faith you are actually there is a kind of mutual mutuality about the fact that that you also believe something it's, it's interesting that isn't it yeah absolutely I well I mean it's, it's not very fashionable anymore is it to be religious no. <laughs> and it's kind of I mean depending on what your outlook is and how you how you read the data that's come out of the census people do s- still have beliefs right and whether they subscribe to a set religious practice or not, or a set way of living. I think that there's some there's something really nice and collective and supporting each other in in this day and age where it's not fashionable, you know. Mm. So it's, it's it's a nice thing. It's something to be celebrated. I'm relying on that for the kind of uh, resurrection of religious belief in the nation that it becomes so unfashionable that actually all the cool kids start doing it to rebel. You know, a bit like facial hair and a bit like um, hipster oh, well, clothes yeah. and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm relying on the idea that we become so uncool as religious people that like all the hipsters just go, oh, yeah, I'm into this really new yeah. cool thing. It's called religion. <laughs> so it goes full circle. Yeah, it goes full circle. It meets itself yeah, around yeah, back. Yeah. 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 Do, do you know what? I'm, I wonder, and we've talked about this a lot, haven't we, just to be serious for a second insofar as the cost of living crisis, the fact that people don't have very much money, that, you know, last week we were down at the food bank, weren't we, which was being run by a religious group, you know, whether it's Muslims or it's Sikhs or it's Hindus or whoever or Christians, you know, that actually maybe this year, and Shyster's point about, you know, the capitalism of Christmas, that actually maybe people will be more focused on community. I went to a place yesterday in Plymouth where they were serving free stew, you know, but it, and it is often that kind of sense of community that comes about through Christmas. And if you haven't got the cash, maybe we concentrate more on community. Mm. Yeah, no, well, I think that's right. And I think more and more this year, that's what we're finding. Shyster. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, I don't know if any of you follow Martin, money saving expert, but one of the really nice things was his little 
pledge to for us to kind of speak to our loved ones and say, hey, this year we're not going to do presents. And so maybe that will take people back to thinking about what what the day is. So whether you're religious or not, what is it that we're actually doing here? You know, maybe this this year in in the the adversity, it will make people go back to what 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 the day it means for people of different backgrounds. You know, yeah, yeah. We have on our tree, by the way, another tradition which I think is the simplicity of it. You know, despite all the presents and all of that, we put little baskets on the tree, and that's where the Christmas fairy used to leave a sweet every day. Uh, and my two boys used to just love it. Has the fairy been today? Now, the eldest one is now 31. He still looks for his fairy sweet in the little basket on the tree. I love that. You know, love and it's so that. simple. Not the big presents. It's just like, oh, there's a sweet in the basket. So what does, okay, so what does Christmas Day look like for you then, Leo? Fairies in baskets, obviously, we've just heard. Well, well, it's it's all of that that we've been talking about, isn't it? But we, have, as I say, we've got the crib. I remember from home, it was such an important time. We, you know, from a very sort of working class part of Manchester, and you know, it was about the family getting together, and it was about sharing the meal and being together. But you know, the, our faith—we're from this sort of Catholic back. We were from a Catholic background, Irish Catholic background. Faith was very central to that going to church, 11 o'clock. And we had a tradition where all the children would choose one of their presents to put on the altar in the 11 o'clock mass. Wow. You know, I'm sure we were kind of like agonizing over which one to choose. But it was just very important that Christmas was about giving in a real sense, not just about receiving. Lovely that that was kind of enshrined at that point. Kate, what does Christmas Day look like in the Botley household? I'm guessing there's food, quite a lot of <laughs> quite a lot of food. it, obviously four taps potato. Um, now, as a child, I was in the I was in a family that were not religious buts. So we didn't go to we never went to church at Christmas, but we did go to the cemetery to put flowers on family graves and we'd all gather around and have a little sherry at the graveside and a and a bit of a sing song. So that was our religious we're not religious, but we always go to the graveyard on Christmas Day. You know, sure. so I'm I that's part of why I've got a massive empathy for people that put themselves in that category. But um Christmas Day here it starts at half four in the morning for me. I'm at work. So Christmas Eve, obviously, we go to we go to church on Christmas Eve. Bethlehem carol service we go to. So that's at nine o'clock, midnight mass, Bethlehem time. And then I come home and try and get some sleep before the car picks me up at 4.30, ready for BBC Radio 2. Good morning, Christmas, on air from <laughs> 8 till 10 Christmas Day morning. And then back- So you're actually doing it live? Yeah, live. Oh, live I in thought Manchester. you might pre-record that. No. Oh, Brilliant. All live. You can peel your sprouts while you listen to Botley. Um, and then back here and either we have people around or we go around to somebody else's this year for the in fact most years we have people around this year for the first time we're going to my brother's um so I'm not cooking on Christmas day which is the first time in I think about 20 years Um, will there be enough different potatoes though I I will take my own potatoes secreted in various pockets (laughs) I will have stockings around my neck with just (laughs) potatoes um and then presents after dinner and uh, silly games and all that sort of stuff, and then falling asleep in a in a sort of pile of your own gluttony, really. And then going, oh yeah, did anyone put Jesus in the manger? <laughs> you remember at ten o'clock at in night? Fruit bowl. Else, right? We're just you know presents and gluttony and telly and all those lovely things. Um, oh. I always think it's really funny when people talk about like oh remembering the real meaning of Christmas as if it could ever be forgotten. You know, because it, it's always there, isn't it? We all know, you know, I don't think anyone, no matter how sort of 
you know, money orientated they are, does have that moment on Christmas Day when you think about the person that's not with you or where you hear a carol or where you see the lights on a house or you see that wreath on a grave on a gravestone and you think, oh, yeah, there's something else. I think I think no one's immune to that. God finds a way every single time. I think we're going to leave it there. Kate? Amadeep, Shyster, thank you so much and happy Christmas, whatever it looks like uh, to you. Leo, any kind of quirky bits and bobs? Not that we haven't had a few. (laughs) Just a very quick one. And this is a lovely story, I think. I don't know whether you saw that the Bishop of Salisbury, the Right Reverend Stephen Lake, was unseated as a bishop this week uh, and replaced replaced by a 12-year-old chorister. Well, some um, would say, yeah. Called Rory Law. And before you panic, it was just for 45 minutes. The tradition of unseating a bishop is a medieval tradition designed to remind the bishop of the importance of humility and his dedication to God and his people. Uh, it was mostly stamped out by Henry VIII in in, in those times. What a killjoy he was. Totally. I'm still not satisfied, chopped two of their heads off, a lot of stamping out and killing of monasteries and all the rest of it, but not in Salisbury, where the unseating continues until this very day. Thank you for that. Well, that is this week's Religion Media Centre podcast. Let us know what you think. Share it widely. From Leo and myself and from Kate, Amadit and Shyster. thanks for spending some time with us. We'll be back next Friday. Bye for now. The Religion Media Centre is an impartial and independent organisation providing an expert resource for the media and other interested parties to help the reporting and understanding of religion and beliefs. You can find news, fact sheets, briefings and lots more on the website at religionmediacentre.org.uk where you can also sign up for a daily roundup of stories about religion and belief from the UK and around the world straight to your inbox. If you'd like to support the podcast and the work we do, contributions are very welcome. Thank you if you do, have or will. It all helps us continue to tell the stories that matter and it's hugely appreciated.